what kind of people were these that could go through this daily persecution in a time when they could sing, when nobody could hear them sing but themselves? How come they didn't have any words of hate for the persecutor, mm. for the person oppressing them? I said, what kind of people were these, you know? And so that led me to look at who they were. Black creativity is unstoppable. The Studio Noise podcast takes you into the studio with Black artists and creatives making the art that moves the culture. You get to feel all the inspiration, technique, and passion behind the people making paintings, making sculptures, making prints, making noise. It's the Studio Noise podcast with your host, Jamal Barber. It's the noise. Yes, it's your boy, Jay Barber. When a man tells you he's been painting for 50 years... You got to stop and listen. <laughs> He's been an artist longer than you've been alive. Well, most of us have been alive, right? And I think he might know a little something. You know what I mean? Today, we got Mr. Aaron Henderson on the podcast. He's an amazing painter with a new book that collects images from his series based on Negro spirituals. The book is called Fight On, a visual interpretation of African-American spirituals. I've had the pleasure of showing work alongside Mr. Henderson at Zucot Gallery in Atlanta, Georgia. He's a wealth of knowledge and it's always great to talk to about anything and everything. He's got a lot of insight, uh, you know, that old man wisdom. <laughs> you know what I mean, we love that kind of stuff, yo. His book is really great. Not just the amazing paintings that he documents inside of it, but the written text of the spirituals. You don't have to get to see the language of the spirituals like in this kind of form. I don't I don't think most of them are even written down at all. So it's great to see that. And there's essays in there, too, to make it a great read. You can get you one of those books at ZucotGallery.com and you can see more of Mr. Henderson's work up there. Uh, after that, pop on over to StudioNoisePodcast.com. Check out previous episodes and articles. Uh, they got a button at the top, a little nice little button. It says Patreon. You can sign up for the Studio Noise Patreon, just like Gregory Becker. I appreciate you, bro. Appreciate the support. For sure, you know, I'm going to keep it rocking thanks to you and every little bit helps. So y'all pop on over and keep supporting the show. I appreciate you. I promised my wife that if she let me do my thesis show in peace, <laughs> I'll do whatever she wants to for the summer. So I'll be out doing family stuff for the next couple of weeks. Uh, this is a great episode to hold you over, though. And, you know, there's more episodes. We got an archive. This is episode 117. So there's plenty of episodes to keep you inspired while I take a little break. Uh, but I'll be back. Don't worry about that. And when I come back, I'll have some exciting announcements. <laughs> yes. New stuff happening with the podcast. All new episodes for you. You know, you know your boy. Never going to let you down. I'm going to keep bringing you the best black art conversations on whatever podcast app you're listening to right now. <laughs> Don't matter what you're listening to. I, I doubt if you find any real podcast out there that's better than this one. You know, I, you know, I put some work into it. Like, it's all for you. You know what I'm saying? It's the noise. Now, all you got to do is just tell two of your art-loving friends to come listen to this. I got a good one for you today. We're going to soak up some knowledge. You're going to get it all from the great Mr. Aaron Henderson. So after the break, we got Mr. Henderson, <laughs> as, as I call him. I call him Mr. Henderson. I just got that kind of respect. I'm from North Carolina. I can't help it, yo. But after the break, we got Mr. Henderson on the podcast. It's going to be a great listen for you, yo. You already know. It's the noise, baby. Yes. This is Tiffany E. Barber, no relation to Jamal Barber. 
scholar, curator, critic, assistant professor of Africana Studies and Art History at the University of Delaware, and this is Studio Noise. It's your boy Jay Barber, back for more Studio Noise. This time I'm sitting with a very special guest, uh, Mr. Aaron Henderson. He represented by Zucat Gallery, same gallery as me, uh, but a much bigger level <laughs> than where I am. How you doing, Mr. Henderson? Doing great today. Doing great. That's what, man. It's, it's always great to talk to you, man. I, I really enjoy like going by the gallery and, and chopping it up with you. You got so many great stories to tell, man. So much information for a young artists like myself trying to do it, man. So I appreciate that. Well, yeah. Well, I want to congratulate you too on getting your MFA and and uh, doing a pandemic. That's a that's a feat in itself. So. <laughs> yes, yes, it was, man. It was not normal at all. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So the one one uh, big reason I wanted to get you on the podcast was you have this new book that you produced um, about this new series that not new series, but a series of work you've been doing for what about eight years now, right? Yeah, a little bit longer than that. Uh, yeah, the the, uh, the book uh, deals with uh, the spirituals. The book is called Fight On, A Visual Interpretation of African-American Spirituals. And it includes um, the uh, about, I think it's 55 or so of my paintings, along with the lyrics to the song. And what I attempted to do was to, uh, is to uh, understand the lyrics and produce a painting that went along with the lyrics. And so, uh, uh, and I also have uh, contributions from three scholars also f that are also included uh, with the book. And so there's um, Dr. Bill Colvin, um, Benson Win Winbush, and Dr. Frederick Taylor. All, uh, all three of those guys are experts in their, in their particular field. And they, they are contributors uh, to the book as well. Yeah, and I I always love the idea of this series that you had. Um, I pre I especially appreciate the kind of depth that you went into with the research on it. So tell us, tell us, let's start at the beginning, man. Tell us like how your relationship to the old Negro spirituals, as they say, how it started. Well, uh, when uh, well, you know, it's the songs that uh, when I was growing up, uh, the songs were some of the songs were sung in churches and what have you, and. Nowadays, I think it'd be kind of hard pressed to find a church that uh, is actually singing some of those songs. Uh, I had the uh, fortune of being able to go to Tuskegee. It was Tuskegee Institute then, and um, the uh, the Tuskegee Choir were known for singing the spirituals. and And uh, one of my many work study jobs was to record the Institute Choir, and um, my uh, mentor at the time was the curator of the George Washington Carver Museum, and and she helped guide me along with my artwork. There was no art program at Tuskegee at the time, and so uh, I was majoring in electrical engineering, and uh, I would paint and draw on the side, and and I was like the campus artist for the time I was there. So I did, you know, posters and all that kind of stuff, yeah. and signs and everything around yeah. campus there. Yeah. But anyway, she she's the one uh, uh, that uh, Dr. Thomas, she's the one who got uh, me the job with the choir to record the choir. And I was relaying this story to uh, Onaje, my uh, youngest son. And, uh, and he was saying, wow, you should do a painting about that. 
And I said, okay, maybe I'll, you know, just take one of the songs and see if I can't, you know, do a painting that related to that song, a song I like. So anyway, I start, you know, doing a painting and uh, I did the painting. And I, when I got started, I realized I didn't know very much about the spirituals. I mean, I've heard them. Uh, you grew up listening. My grandmother used to sing them a lot. And when she was doing her work and cooking or whatever, she would be singing them. And and so I started doing research and uh, wind up going to the uh, Auburn Library. I went to the National Archives. I went to different places trying to find the uh, information about the spirituals and what they what they really meant and how to interpret them. And and I did, I guess that first year I started, I may have done two paintings. And I spent most of my time uh, doing research. And some years I would do four or five in the series. And I have a, a about a dozen series of paintings that I work in. So I'm back and forth between different series. And I, I was doing research on the spirituals more than I was actually painting. And so that project was at least 10 years. Matter of fact, I'm still working on it to this day. On this, I'm still doing some research too on the on the spirituals. And uh, the idea was to uh, maybe put it in a book. So we self-published a, uh, a book on the spirituals and got those contributors to, uh, to also be a part of the, the program. And the book, book uh, it's a hardbound book and... Uh, uh, it was my first time doing self-publishing a book, and I'm gonna tell you, it was a really, it was really a learning curve, and it's something I had to learn real quick. Oh yeah, from, I believe uh, that. Yeah, yeah, from uh, you know finding book designers and editors and proofreaders, and it was just a, all these components: the Library of Congress, ISBN numbers. It was just a lot, yeah. a lot. And I had a book consultant working with me to help me help guide me through through that whole process. And cool. so, and initially I thought that I could just write up, uh, you know, I could just write up what I thought should be in the book. <laughs> and I wrote yeah. that up and had an editor to fly in from New York and we met and uh, I had already sent her the uh, manuscript. She looked it over and said, okay, we need to start all over again. <laughs> so, <laughs> and so, so we started from scratch and, and then, uh, I learned some other things like the um, the scholars that also uh, contributed to the book, they were writing in scholarly terms. And she said, the book has got to be for general audience. So she had to get them to kind of, you know, change some of the phraseology yeah, or whatever. Bring it down. Yeah, bring it down. Bring it down. <laughs> so, 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 so anyway, we had to go back and forth, back and forth with the editing quite a bit. But and she was a tremendous editor and she really, really helped me understand the whole process a lot. So, uh, so, but anyway, that's that, that part of it. But then, then, you know, just doing the research and uh, give you an example uh, a song uh, that says, that has the word heaven in it. It's not talking about some pie in the sky kind of thing. Uh, generally, what the songs are talking about is uh, heaven for an enslaved African would, would be if I can get away from this plantation, away from, if I could get to the north or if I can get to Canada, you know, mm. or ultimately heaven would be getting back to Africa. Mm. So when the songs sing about heaven, then that's in a lot in most cases, that's what they're talking about, you know, and 
And then there are songs with like like affirmation song that says uh, in the phrase that before I be a slave, I'll be buried in my grave. And you think about how powerful that is for someone to say that. Yeah. And what, especially singing that where a person who might hear has the power to kill you right on the spot. So, <laughs> yeah. So and then, you know, other songs help help in the escape and uh, to the to uh, from slavery. And uh, one of the things that uh, I know sometimes we'll hear someone say, well, that happened a long time ago. And I always say, really, how long ago you think it was? You know? Yeah. We, you know, we, we were, we were enslaved as this, as, uh, as, as I want to call all of us, all the uh, black folks uh, in America, we were, we were enslaved longer than we were free. <laughs> yeah. So, so it's not that long ago. And, you go and you, if it's not your grandparents, it's your great grandparents or great that was enslaved. So, so, so it's, it's a part of our history. It's part of American history. Yeah. And, uh, and it's something that, uh, we need to talk about it. We need to make sure. And, uh, and I think, I think the emphasis with some of the thing that's been happening with the uh, Tulsa situation that's coming up, that mm. has come up and other things again, making people understand, you know, where cause those folks in that situation there in the 1820s, uh, a lot of those folks were ex-slaves. And look what they were able to create. That's something we can be proud of, you know? Yeah. But the songs were with them the entire time. The songs were used all through the civil rights movement. And uh, when you would see uh, um, uh, other songs like uh, Still Away, mm-hmm. which uh, a lot of people know that song. Um, well, th- that a lot of lyrics would change. And so it would be like, for instance, it'll say still away would be singing. Um, it's time to still away to the North or it's time to escape or whatever. But if a master walked in the room, or could be heard. They would be saying it's time to still away to Jesus. Mm. So it just switch. Right. Yeah. <laughs> they yeah. would switch it. So, uh, and so the, the other powerful thing in uh, doing research and understanding the spirituals is that the, you know, as Du Bois said, they're really, the spirituals are America's gift to the world. And uh, what happens is, is that the spirituals in, it, what contained within the spirituals is, is all of American music. Mm-hmm. So, so you have these enslaved poets or these slave poets who are creating these lyrics. And by the way, they were very young too. Uh, if you look at the 1850 census, uh, 45% of all enslaved Africans was uh, was under 15 years old. Oh wow! Uh, 56% was under 20. Wow! And 74% was under 30. Well, slavery was not, uh, uh, you know, not for someone old. And I know a lot of times we see these depictions in the theater and movies and stuff like that. You got the old slave. Yeah. Well, you didn't live to be old. If you lived to be 40, you were lucky. So so these were the people, the young people who were creating the songs, creating the lyrics, and then making sure they survived without them being written down. So they were transferred or moved from, from one place to the other just by word of mouth. And so that in itself is powerful in itself, but yeah. also contained in the spirituals are what would be truly American music. So in the spirituals, you have uh, jazz, blues, hip hop, R&B, gospel. All of that music has this origin 
into the uh into in the spirituals even the whole notion of improvisation and jazz goes right back to the spirituals as well right exactly like like you were just saying switch the lyrics up when somebody come around right and so that's why we you know we had someone like uh, dr taylor who uh was a professor at georgia state to uh to come to, to write for the book and just talk about that that particular area where we have uh, uh, that music that's so powerful and uh, it's being sung all over the world and sometimes it becomes a part of the American music and it's almost like when you when you look look at TV there's hardly I dare you to look at TV and not hear hears a jazz song in a commercial somewhere. Right. You'll hear Duke Ellington all day long. Okay. Yeah. And, or, or you'll hear some part of the spirituals. For instance, the one that, that uh, people will say sometime, they'll say that's a kumbaya moment or, but they don't realize that's a spiritual. And it, the spirituals actually is come by here, Lord. And so, so, so in the dialect, of course, it would be kumbaya, kumbaya, here, Lord. But uh, and and the the lyrics to the song were also in. It would say, "Come by here, Lord." Someone was beaten today, or someone got thirty nine lashes. Come by here, Lord, today because uh, my son was sold, my my five year old daughter was sold, and so and that that gripping power that goes associated, you know, associated with with those songs and the and the anguish and despair and also with the hope. Now, one of the things that scholars have been able to find out about the spirituals is that there, there probably were about 10,000 of them produced and about 6,000 of them have survived. Uh, one scholar uh, says that uh, of the ones that he's been able to, and I kind of agree with him on this, and the ones he's been able to find and and I think I've located about 3,000 of them myself. But the ones he said he's been able to find, they, he has yet to find a word of hate in them. Mm. And uh, I've experienced that same thing. And I was wondering what kind of people were these that could go through this daily persecution in a time when they could sing, when nobody could hear them sing but themselves, how come they didn't have any words of hate for the persecutor, mm. for the person oppressing them? I said, what kind of people were these, you know? And so that led me to look at who they were, how they lived. So I did quite a bit of research on slavery. And I've read dozens and dozens of books on that. And and just, you know, just seeing how, how people were treated. And then still remarkably, I still sometimes wonder how in the world could they have done that? And then I have to realize that we are the descendants of the ones who they could not kill. Mm. And, and we need to stand up for that. Yeah. And we need to, to embrace it and not, oh, not go with that kind of narrative that, you know, the stupid narrative they got going around how, you know, we chose to be in slavery and we didn't, you know what I'm saying? Want to get away to all that, all that nonsense that people talk like, but there is a uh, resilience when you have a whole infrastructure on the country of a country that's on your back, like all the time from the moment you're born to the moment oh, you yeah. die. Like, you know, so you, to be able to survive that is an amazing feat. And to translate that pain and anguish, like when you just gave that lyric about, you know, come here, Lord, like they sold my child. Like that's, uh, 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 
and <laughs> you can't even begin to imagine the feeling of helplessness. You know what I'm oh, saying? Yeah. Of of having your loved one being ripped away from you. You know, I think of my son now, like I'd be devastated. Oh yeah. You know, and and to still have to be forced, whipped and beaten to keep going, to keep picking cotton or whatever it was that you were in charge of. Like that's crazy. Yeah, so it, it's it's uh like I said, it's it's uh I think we need to do more. We need to dive deeply into it. And I know there's a lot of scholars now that are producing books that produce literature for children. We need to teach our children about this. Yeah. And uh, you know, it's one of those things that if they know about this, if they know their history, maybe they will behave differently. Maybe they will treat each other differently. And so we can't, you know, we cannot teach this. And 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 I guess for me, this 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 book is just a little snippet of some more places. And I the book has a long book list in it, a bibliography in it, where you can go and do some of the same research I did, you know, to go yeah. and and do some of the uh and I and this is a long list of books, but I actually have read every book that's on that list. So <laughs> so <laughs> so I spent days and days just just reading that and and then under, also to understand that uh all this happened in America and uh this um this notion that uh uh this whole country and the economy of this country was built on our backs. And uh, and also the whole financial stability of Europe also is based on mm, right. slavery. Right. And so there is a book that that uh, that's on that list that really gets into the economics of and how powerful that is. And some of the things that are that are playing out from an economic standpoint exist today as well. Uh, the book is called uh, The Half Has Never Been Told. And it's by a guy named Edward Baptist, who's a Cornell uh, white guy. He's a Cornell um, history professor, but he goes into the economics and how this this whole notion had to be here, and it's why America became what it is, and it is what it is today because of it. And so, so, but the spirituals also tells that story. And it's one of our ways of looking at what the people who were experiencing, what their thoughts were and what they were thinking about at the time. And a lot of the songs wind up being like these affirmations to, uh, to it, it, a lot of them were talking about things that they knew that they would never see themselves or the chances was, was possible they would never see, but they were talking about generations ahead you know, that one day this thing is going to be better. Mm. And, uh, and, and uh, we're that generation. And, and so we need to realize that we're standing on the so shoulders of these folks and, and, uh, and we need to behave accordingly. <laughs> yeah, for sure. And, and in doing your research, did you find any kind of regional um, characteristics for any other stuff? Like, Oh yeah. Well, one one things that uh, one of the things I found is that, uh, like for instance, if you're in Georgia, and uh, and you're uh, singing a song in Georgia, the lyrics are slightly different if you're in North Carolina. Mm -hmm. uh, if you're on the coast of Georgia, and the coast of South Carolina, things are different then too. And, and this whole idea of the spiritual actually comes from something called a ring shout, and uh, and that's when folks are in a circle. And 
and there's a the drums and all musical instruments were banned because the uh, enslavers thought that you would be talking through the drums or you'd be transferring messages, so they banned all of that. So typically it would be someone with a just a stick beating out a tune, a beat. And I know some of our young folks are selling beats now, but <laughs> but they not come up with anything that hadn't already been done. Yeah. And so so he would beat out this tune and folks would go in a counterclockwise direction in a circle. And then this would apply to folks from the uh, continent because they this was something that was ceremonially done almost entirely over the whole continent continent. So it didn't matter where you came from or what language you were, that you could join in in this ring shout. And in this ring shout is where a lot of the songs came out. They would sing about what was happening that day, or how they felt and what have you. So that's a, a lot of lyrics were developed through this ring shout. And so, and so you can find that. And uh, then you also, when you go to South Carolina and, uh, and I actually went to a rice plantation in South Carolina as a part of research. I actually got to harvest some rice to see how that whole thing went. And I was enjoying myself in the mud until somebody saw a snake and then that was it for me. <laughs> but uh, but anyway, um, uh, the rice was the thing uh, before the tobacco and cotton. Rice was the number one uh, grain in Europe. And, uh, and and here too. So I went through a symposium in uh, and uh, in South Carolina on uh, the uh, production of rice and, and they and those the folks along the Sea Islands and the coast of Georgia, of course, South Carolina and North Carolina, uh, they were kidnapped for their ability to grow rice. Mm. And uh, now, in today's terms, that was the technology of the day. Mm, and people, so yeah, we're the talking people, to, yeah, the, the people who could yeah, who could grow food. I mean, and these folks could grow food. They knew a way of taking uh, salt water and converting it to fresh water to grow rice. Mm. So we talking about the technology and knowing that technology to be able to do that and to do it in a in a in a swamp area along the coastlines of Georgia and South Carolina loaded with snakes and mosquitoes and malaria and everything else and and to do it uh and to do it under such harsh conditions and and then on top of all of that be able to come up and <laughs> and do songs i mean and to talk about what was happening to you that's that's amazing, and and you know you're working from sun up to sundown, and uh, and often you know folks got just a meager, I mean just a meager amount of something to diet if you to, to eat. If you were you're lucky enough, you had a little plot of land where you could grow sweet potatoes and mm. things like that. Yeah. So that so that you could have something to sustain you, but the uh, the enslavers didn't care because you know they work you to death. They just get another one. Yeah, that's true. So it didn't it didn't matter, but. One of the more interesting things about this on the coast of South Carolina is, uh, and, and uh, Georgia, is that the 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 the, the uh, and growing the, um, the the rice and what have you. The weather was so oppressive to the white landowners, really couldn't handle it. So in the summer, 
And in the months when the mosquitoes and everything, they, and it was hot and humid, they couldn't handle it. So, and also what happened at that time, you had people who were from the same region, particularly like say Sierra Leone. And so they kept a lot of the language where we get the Gullah language. We kept a lot mm -hmm. of that intact. Right. But since they couldn't, they could not handle it. That also left a path for them to escape. And so a lot of these folks, they escaped down the coastline and wound up in Florida, which at the time was not held by the British. So they wind up in Florida. And so, and then they were hooked up with what was now called the Seminoles, I guess, and actually taught them how to grow rice too. So, wow. so anyway, you, 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 in doing research, you run into all these, these kind of stories, you know, about that. And I got into, um, you know, what was the diet <laughs> of different places, plantations and things like that. What happened to children, uh, which when you read about what happened to children, that's when the whole story just, you know, kind of tears you apart and yeah. stuff where the uh, ideal person to enslave would be a nine-year-old girl. Mm. And so you get songs that are created that uh, sometimes I feel like a motherless child. And for someone to say, to imagine how that is, to be able to say, you know, sometimes I wonder if I was ever even born. Wow. How did I get here? You know, that kind of thing. But, uh, but you can, you know, that was that was an ideal ideal to take children and put children in the field. If they could pick a bug up off a leaf, they was in the field from sun up to sundown. There was no pesticides. The children were the ones madness. capturing them bugs off of them cotton plants. Okay. Yeah, that's madness. And so we don't think about that. And then, then of course, when you see images on TV, everybody got clothes on, they got shoes on. That wasn't the case. <laughs> I mean, mm. and so, you know, you get people have lived their entire lives without ever owning a pair of shoes. Wow. So there's a song that says, when I get to heaven, I'm going to put on my shoes. Wow. And I'm going gonna, and I'm gonna, I'm gonna to walk all over God's heaven. Now, they weren't talking about the God of the oppressor. Their God is different. Yeah. And so we get that, you know, we get all of that in, in the lyrics and what have you and stuff. And and uh, and so in the book, uh, I also included some things that are not, particularly there one image in the book um, that was based on a poem by uh, Claude McKay. Um, and uh, in that in that poem, it's was in uh, it's called "If We Must Die," and uh, it's not a spiritual, but I wanted to show that. That 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 those poets there, those slave poets, will wind up still writing and still producing these incredible poems that talked about what was happening to us, and we are still doing it to this day. And uh, and that particular poem was based on uh, what happened in 1919, which was just prior to the what happened in Tulsa in uh, 21. Um, this is when the uh, uh, African American uh, troops came back from war, World War One, and they had been exposed to some freedoms in Europe that they were not exposed to here, and they started demanding that they receive those same, same, uh, uh, same uh, rights and freedoms and what have you. And uh, that particular uh, year, 1919, is also the summer of 1919 is also known as the Red Summer. Mm, yeah. Because yeah. there was a 
this vicious attack by uh, white um, terrorists on black communities. And, uh, and, that, and that was happening all over the country, as far as north as uh, Chicago, I think, and uh, with the, the largest uh, uh, white uh, riot was in Elaine, Arkansas, where there were over 200 African-American men were murdered in that. So I guess what I was, and putting that image in the book, in the poem in the book, I was looking at if, if, if to let you know how, how recent this stuff is. Yeah. And that if we looked at 1819, 1919, 2019, we having the same thing that's occurring. Now, the spirituals have guided us through all kinds of crap. And uh, I think they can still do that. And uh, if we'd only just listen to what the songs were saying. Oh, man, I agree and, with that. And I and think so. in the book, I think you said the, the the songs were aspirational with a revolutionary imperative. I think, right. that's, I think that's a great way to put it, is that these aren't people that were like just giving up on life. Like they oh, were no. fighting oh, back. No. Like they were fighting back. They were trying to make a way. They were conceiving and thinking about and striving to uh, be free, like all the time, no matter uh, how daunting, you know what I'm saying, it would be for them to do it. They were still like in the fight all the time. Oh, it was estimated that between, uh, I may have my dates wrong. I think it's from 1810, I'm trying to do some stuff from memory, uh, to 1850, over 100,000 enslaved Africans had escaped. Mm. Now, we don't hear, but what happened to them? Yeah, you know? nobody tells the story. And, who, and you have to think about it, these folks were considered commodities. So, you know, that's your, you know, that's your four or five hundred dollars a head or a thousand dollar head that 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 you can count on because they were not, you know, they were considered a commodity. And so we have the the uh, uh, where human beings were were considered com commodities. And so and I don't know if that's happened any other time, certainly not in recent history where that they where they monetize. You were monetized and put on the market like coffee and all this other stuff, you yeah, know, yeah. rice and tobacco. You were a commodity and, uh, and you were treated that way, too. This is Alexis McGregg. I am a visual and performing artist and you are listening to Studio Noise. But that number of people escaped. You don't hear about uh, some of the folks who who resisted because the stories are not really told. Uh, there is one story in particular, and you know we hear about Harriet Tubman, and um, there was a guy named Napoleon Washington who was in New York, and uh, he is uh, credited uh, with helping over three thousand people to escape. But chances are you never heard of him. Right. And then there's another story that I found real interesting. It's a guy named um, Parker. He was in Maryland. He escaped and uh, went to uh, a place called Christine, uh, Christina, I think, uh, in Lancaster County, uh, Pennsylvania, which was, uh, you know, in Pennsylvania, it was, um, it was a free state. And so 
key there, and there was this community of black folks. And uh, and what they did, they organized themselves. They had small farms and what have you. And uh, a party underground railroad, if you could get there, then you were going to be okay because this is a community of black folks. And these were like, they call them sometimes freedom villages. They were all over the country. And the notion that our freedom came with the help of white folks is kind of not true. And somewhat, we freed ourselves. We were self-emancipated. We helped ourselves. And the songs are right there with us, helping us. And it, you know, even if if you've never read anything about Harriet Tubman or you read the or you saw the movie, then you know the spirituals was was the thing that she used as a guide to help her get to where she had to go. And so, but anyway, there was a plantation in uh, Maryland that was run by this guy named Gorsuch. Gorsuch, uh, some of his, uh, I think it was four or five of his uh, slaves escaped. And uh, he was awful upset because he thought he was treating them right. Mm. <laughs> okay. <laughs> that they escaped and they went to this, they wind up in, uh, in this little area of Pennsylvania, a little pocket in Lancaster County. And so what happens is, Gorgeous, uh, and when they came up with it in, eight, in 1850, you know, when they had the Fugitive Slave Act. And uh, so what he decided to do, he going to go get them back. Mm. This is my property. I'm going to get them. So he goes and get the federal marshals, get a posse lined up, and they come to take them back. Well, they had this code system. The black folks up there did, had this code system where they realized that they were coming. So Gorsuch, the U.S. marshals, they showed up at the Parker's home and to to take these folks back. And before they could start talking about what they was going to do, the black folks, they opened up fire and killed Gorsuch. Oh, wow. Killed him. So they knew now what was going to happen is that the um, the U.S. Marshals and what have you went back to Pennsylvania. I mean, went back to Philadelphia and came back with the, with the, uh, with the Marines. Well, almost that entire black community got up and with the help of Frederick Douglass, wind up in Canada. Oh, wow. And not a single black person was killed or injured in any of that. But see, I'm saying all that to say that that uh, we have stories like that just, just have not been told, period. You know, so so we don't know about, you know, Parker uh, or David Rutledge, Rutledge who, who started the... Uh, you know, another. So we hear about the Underground Railroad, but we never see that it was us doing it. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. We don't. Yeah. We don't know. We always think there was some benevolent yeah. white person the Quakers, that was saying, yeah, "Okay, something like that, or yeah. somebody." You yeah. know, I'm not saying that those folks didn't help, but the the brunt, of, the brunt of whatever uh, we emancipated ourselves. And there's a great book that's uh, uh, that's written by Ira Berlin that talks about. Uh, I think it's called The Long Road to Emancipation. But anyway, in that book, uh, you know, it talks about how how we really did all this ourselves. It wasn't Lincoln. It wasn't. A, we did it. <laughs> it was these same enslaved folks that said, OK, we're going to make this happen. And it's yeah. that same spirit that created somewhere like Tulsa. You see yeah. what I'm saying? Yeah. Yeah. And so but I'm saying also that the spirituals was at the basis of all of that. Yeah, I like that. I like how you can you can follow like the course of history, you know what I'm saying, and pick up all these other different stories along the way and get yeah. a real understanding about like what it was like, what we went through, like who we are or who we were to make us who we are now. Like I, right. I think that's fascinating. I love it. And so anyway, that's 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 a 
you know, and uh, sometimes I'm often asked, uh, people will say, well, I love the spirituals. And they'll say, well, my favorite spiritual is Amazing Grace. Well, Amazing Grace is not a spiritual. Oh, is it? Nope. Uh, Amazing Grace was written by a white English guy. I think his name was, last name is, I think it's John Newton is his name. And and uh, that song came to him when he was a captain of a slave ship. Wow. And he, and he heard the moaning and groaning and the suffering of folks doing that transatlantic uh, slave trade. And that, and he called himself this Christian. Later he became, you know, uh, uh, a minister and what have you in England and what have you, but he's the one that coined that phrase. And so, and black folks seem to love that song and the song, you know, the phrase in the song to save a wretch like me. Mm. Yeah. We weren't the wretch. The wretch was the one. <laughs> was that, that damn yeah, he captain? Was driving the, boat. <laughs> the song came to him, but he didn't turn the boat back around and drop clothes hey, off. He ain't let nobody free either. He ain't let nobody. <laughs> So, <laughs> so, but we seem to even our 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 black president sung that song. Yeah, and I said, "Come on, man, that's not us. <laughs> we not the rich. <laughs> How can we be the rich? Yeah, that's crazy, man. <laughs> but anyway, I get I get asked that a lot of times. Or uh, people would mention that's their favorite uh, spiritual, and I have to let them know that it's not considered uh, a spiritual. So. Uh, I'm going to take it and turn it to the paintings um, a little bit because mm. like, because of all this research that you do, it kind of really gives you a, like a full understanding of what's going on. And so you kind of have in a lot of, a lot of ways recreated like the feelings or even some of the scenes uh, that take place in, in these spirituals and you do it with um, your paintings, which are beautiful. Like I've, I've always loved your paintings. Um, you have just a fantastic way of rendering and most of them are in gouache, right? Right, right. That's a few. That's a few in oil, and uh, most of them are gouache on paper. Then do have some I've done with gouache on uh, on these uh, birchwood uh, panels, you know, wooden panels. And, yeah. And I've done them that way. And uh, do my research. Uh, I realized that you know most of the people who posed for me were young. Matter of fact, they all were young, just about. And uh, and I got you know relatives, friends to pose for me. I like how and, did, how did those conversations go? Like when you, well, when you meet people? Well, it's one uh I had one painting um in particular the, the spiritual is uh Lord they're going to sell us tomorrow I think it's the spiritual. But anyway, the young lady who posed for me on that piece I had I had to uh, I sat down with her and and just talked about what was happening at that time for uh you know for an hour or longer and and I would just kind of put them in the mood you know this is what this is what what happened and and got her where she could really get into the mood and in that particular uh piece she was so into it until um those were real tears she were crying wow. and uh and I wanted her to scream like how she felt when someone had just taken her 
five-year-old daughter and they were sold away from it. She don't know where the daughter went or nothing, just gone. How yeah. do you feel? You know? And so I would talk to him about to get the, to get the right emotion and what have you. And this particular young lady, I didn't know she was a singer. She started singing. Oh, wow. Oh man, that freaked me out. <laughs> she did that. And then, I had other folks, uh, who were um, like Jonathan Blanchard, who is a professional singer and a and a singer of the spirituals. So I got with him, and and he got a couple of his buddies together, Reese and Sam, and and uh, this is early on we was doing this, and I, I had met Jonathan, and we were talking. He said, "Well, I speak, I sing the spirits. You go around to schools, high schools, or wherever, and and and." Uh, and let kids know where music comes from. He starts out with the spirituals and that kind of thing. So anyway, I asked him if he would, he would pose for me. And uh, he said, well, I'm gonna bring a couple of my friends with me. I said, okay. So we went to this big studio and I was John, um, John uh, Stevens uh, studio at the time and big old place. And John was there to help me, you know, kind of stage and pose them. I had met with him the day before and kind of got a feel for how we wanted them to pose. And John took some photographs for me and that kind of thing. But anyway, they got there and they came dressed. Generally I had to put the, you know, I had to put clothes on folks and stuff <laughs> like that, but they came dressed in the clothes. Wow. And they started singing while we were doing it. I did. I had never met Reese or Sam, but they are so incredible. And there were other people in the building when they started singing, man, we looked around, we had a crowd of folks standing out wow. there just to hear them singing the spirituals. And, and so, but anyway, my thing was to get, get folks and then explain to them and give them a bit of a brief history lesson as to what was going on at the time. And so they, they would themselves be in the, in the right, in the right mood, you know, to do it. Uh, and I, I have one painting in there, and I, I'm trying to think of the name of it now, but it's um, uh, is it the uh, before I be a slave? I think it's a. I have a young man who's standing on an American flag. The American flag is actually the auction block, and it's fractured. Mm. And it's the what he's standing on is the 1850 uh, flag. He's got his fist balled up. And but anyway, that's my nephew that's doing that one. Uh, I've painted both of my sons in scenes, and so yeah, that's right. And so yeah. and so I've done, you know, just just that's. So I kind of got the folks to. I had to try to get them. Well, and I think we were successful in getting them in character, so they were they would do it. And then I've had some folks maybe come to dinner and. I look at them and say, you know what? You would be an excellent slave. And I said, I got some clothes I want you to put on. We're going to go out here in the backyard. I'm going to do a couple of quick sketches, and then I'm going to photograph you, and then we can go back and have dinner. <laughs> yeah, so, uh, yeah, so everybody that came by the house was could be a part yeah, of the project. Yeah, if I, if I figure out they, they would do that, and i throw some on them, and i said, let's go do this. And uh, I know I had one of... Uh, one of my uh, guests out and I put some big old baggy pants on him and a, 
And it told him he had to take his shirt off. He was working in the fields. And my neighbor looked out. I guess she said, what in the <laughs> hell is he doing out there in the backyard? <laughs> but, uh, but anyway, that's that's how that you know that came to be. And that's why you know, like, I got a lot of different folks that uh, that posed for me on that. And then, like I say, it's an ongoing project. It's one of probably 12 series that I that I work in. And so. And so that's just, you know, just part of what, and I just started a new series too. Well, a couple of new ones. And so, so anyway, that's, that's kind of how I work and, and, uh, and I'm working, uh, practically every day and I imagine you are too. I'm oh, yeah. sitting in front of my easel right now. <laughs> nah, the- and I I really like that too, that not the working all day, but the, I, but the, how in depth you get with the process for just one of the series, you know what I'm saying? It's like, in, and I know you talk, uh, we've talked before about some of the other work you've done, like the art, um, Afro-Lanica and, and that yeah. kind of stuff. Like, you know, so like you, you put so much, uh, conviction into it. You know what I'm saying? Like, have you always approached your artwork like that? Or was that something you had to develop along the way? Well, I, I, I didn't, uh, well, I consider myself a narrative painter and, uh, actually the story, uh, is more important to me than the actual painting. Really? Okay. And my thing is, did I tell a story? Whether you look at it immediately and know what it's about, or you can read a narrative and you'll say, oh, I see where he was going with this, you know? So my thing is the narrative. So I spend more time developing the narrative and uh, and working with the spirituals. I sp- that's why so much research was done, because I had to understand what the real narrative was associated with it, you know? And so, so that's why that, you know, that particular, uh, series was so, was so involved, you know, and the, and the, uh, spirituals are such a, uh, such a large uh, subject to even attack, you know? Yeah. And so anyway, that's, that's where that come from me, you know, just being a, a narrative artist and then looking to, to really just tell a story. And so, but I've always been like that though. It's been like that. You know, I didn't realize it'd been like that, but I look, I started, I've been painting for over 50 years. See? Wow. Yeah. <laughs> so, but I'm still learning. I still trying to figure stuff out. I'm still experimenting. It's probably the only profession in the world you can have and have it for the rest of your life yeah. and never really get it right. Yeah. <laughs> <You know? laughs> it's always so, something new to do. Yeah. There's always something new and you always look back at what you did and say, man, I could have done that better, but let's move on to the next thing, you know? Yeah. So I'm going I'm to point out a piece and then uh, you can tell me if you want, if you remember it right off the top of your head, um, okay. running for my life. You remember this piece? Yeah. Yeah. yeah all right, so in, in making this piece, this is definitely like a narrative piece. Like as a man, like peeking around like a, a post or something like that around the corner. And yeah. like, he's obviously, uh, you know, on the lookout for somebody like, like take us into like what you were thinking when you created that one. Well, the, the idea was that you've escaped and now you you found this old barn or something and you're running for your life, but you got this brief moment that you got to collect yourself so you can continue to run. And so he's looking to see, okay, what do I do? Where do I go next? That kind of thing. And that's what I was thinking in my mind when I did that. And then I had read the uh, lyrics to that song and uh 
And I also have another painting in there where it's a guy just running. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> but uh, I wanted to, 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 to capture, and I wanted to be his, uh, just his face, you know, the whole, I wanted to see if I could capture, could capture that. And uh, that's actually a good friend and partner in the gallery, Troy. That's who posed Oh, for right, that. yeah. Yeah, so... Um, so, but that's, that's, uh, that's what that's, you know, that's where all of that's coming from. And, and of course, you know, he's the one that, uh, he's one of the people who suggested that they even be a book. <laughs> so, <laughs> so he said, man, you need to put some of this stuff in a book. And, uh, so yeah. that was, uh, that was important to, uh, you know, that, that piece right there I thought was, uh, and that's a large piece. That's a five foot by six foot piece frame. So it's a large image of him. Yeah, I I think that that's amazing, and you know I've seen some of these in person, and so mm-hmm. like it, you get a a good sense of kind of the depth and the layering that you put into it too. So that that piece, this piece, running for my life, it has like these nice golden like highlights on his face, like beaming mm-hmm. like the sunshine, but then like this deep black in the background, like behind him. So his face like really stands out, but it fades into the shadows like beautifully, man. Like have you always mm-hmm. have you always wanted to render? Like on this level, I mean, but but you know, I can't even say that because you have so many different series like that you do you do explore abstraction and like some more flat yeah, areas and yeah, colors. Yeah, you stuff. know, yeah. And I, I I was looking back up one of the series that I'm working on now. I'm calling it Black Rage, and uh, and I'm looking at how we as Black folks suppress that rage, and how even doing you know, then slavery and how that stuff has affected us physically and all that good stuff too, but how we suppress that and, uh, and, uh, and you're witnessing that same rage appearing, uh, it's happening all over. It has never stopped actually. It's just publicized more now. And so I was wondering, well, how have I, um, how did I come to this narrative and, and, and developing a narrative to, for this series? And, I looked at some work I did back when I was in high school and I actually was dealing with this same topic, but I didn't call it that. Mm. And so I said, wow, um, this is something that I've been kind of dipping in and out of for a long time. And so what I'm doing now is putting it all in the, and I have, uh, I've done about, and I guess in a newer version of this with, with the name Black Rage, and I've done about four paintings so far. And what led me to this was a, a book called Black uh, Rage that was written by uh, Dr. William Greer and uh, Dr. Price Cobb, who were black psychiatrists. And they discussed this uh, rage that we have. And and, uh, and in one ways, uh, those spirituals help us to uh, contain and survive that race so we could live another day. <laughs> right. Yeah. And, uh, so anyway, I had the, the, the fortune that I was in a art exhibit exhibit in California and I had the fortune of being invited to this dinner and I wound up sitting right next to Dr. Greer. Oh, wow. And I didn't know who he was. And, uh, Everybody just about left, and it was the two of us still sitting there. They had meetings or whatever they were going to, and we got to talk, and he told me he was the author of this book. And I said, man, I remember reading that book when I was in college, and and we got to talking about that rage. And 
he was saying that rage manifests throughout our community. He said, doesn't matter if you're the CEO or if you're the president, this before Obama, or you're the president of the United States and you're black, you still gonna have to deal with that rage. Mm -hmm. And his job was to try to help us understand what it is and how to deal with it and stuff. And, uh, and so anyway, I, I started, you know, writing narratives on just how, how I would approach this and I'll do something and I'll come back with to it six months later or whatever. But anyway, that's, that's one of my newer, newer things, but it's amazing how many of these series I got that will tie themselves right back into the spirituals. And, uh, and uh, matter of fact, uh, uh, Dr. Greer's son is David Allen Greer, who's the entertainer. Oh wow! I, <laughs> I didn't yeah, that's, I didn't know that. So he yeah. died. He died a few years. He, uh, Dr. Greer, died a few years yeah. ago. And but uh, but uh, it's an outstanding book called Black Rage. It, I, I think it's still in print. You can get a copy of it. But anyway, and uh, he just talks about how we deal with this rage and this whole thing of uh, living a life of an oppressed person, how it affects us. Uh, and our dealings with each other and everything, every other aspect of our life. And so, uh, and so what was some of our co coping mechanisms? And that's where the thing with the spirituals come in and music and, and, and you know, it's yeah. part of our coping mechanisms to deal with it. Yeah. So anyway, that's, but I realized I had been doing this for a long time and, and I looked at some of the, uh, old, old paintings that I did and, uh, uh, growing up in Birmingham, Alabama, so which was uh, <laughs> was the most segregated uh, and racist city in America, mm. and uh, and so growing up there, uh, I, you know, it was it was something that and when we say a bomb drills, because they was bombing our neighborhoods and stuff, you know. So I remember the glass being broken out of the bedroom windows from a blast and that kind of stuff, you know. So so you know. And uh, I lived near a street in Birmingham that was called Dynamite Hill because it was bombed so much. Wow. You know? And uh, so, you know, I had all that stuff in my back, in my background and stuff. And so growing up, that was there. And and I looked at some early paintings I did in high school. And I remember my mother telling me, Aaron, could you not paint any more sad children? <laughs> <You know? laughs> but, I, but I remember I had some incredible parents and uh, uh, they were just, and my father was just outstanding. Uh, the first little drawing I did, he went and got it framed and hung it in the house. And, you know, I was like 13, 14, 13 years old, probably. And he encouraged me, just always encouraged me to do the art and that kind of thing. So, That's awesome. So I was, you know, really blessed with that. And uh, and uh, my mother's only complaint was just the, the children are so sad. I'm about to cry looking <laughs> at them, you know. And so and so I would I would do that. And and then uh, the uh, a lot of that work came uh, uh, when I was in high school, uh, just starting high school. Two of the girls that were killed in the. Uh, uh, the murder at 16th street Baptist church had been in my class in a, from the fourth through the eighth grade, oh, those man. two little girls had been in my class and that, that had uh, an effect on, I'm sure it had an effect on me as it did with all of uh, my classmates at the time. And some of us are still around and we'll talk sometime because that happened on September the 15th, uh, 1963. We'll talk about that date sometime. Mm. 
but uh but anyway that i'm sure that informed uh, you know had something to do with uh with my art and it just you know growing up in an environment you know and learning to you know to deal with just you know racism in your face uh, even to this day you know and then uh and then just knowing how we do it and then we started talking about the art world and then uh and i know my sons talk about this a lot of us uh being in a position where we can validate our own work right that yeah. uh, we become we become the custodians of our culture matter of fact, they even have a t-shirt that says that, you know <laughs> yeah. so just yeah, you know yeah so so that we're the ones you know it's our thing and us unapologetically being who we are and uh to make it in the art world you don't have to paint with white people paint you work from your own culture from your own understanding right and that's good enough. We got enough of us that we can afford what we do, you know, and we can take care. I mean, come on now, we can do this. And yeah. so that's that's our thing. And we don't have to wait on somebody else to validate the value of what we do. Yeah. And, uh, I, and I, so think that's that, a, I think that even listening to like you right now, like explaining the work, explaining the story like that kind of gives complete validation to what you're doing, period. Like you don't need anybody else to do it. I mean, you can you have enough uh, research, know how, life experience, everything that you're putting into your work, and that's the like the pinnacle of what you can ask an artist to do. Like, is, oh, to, yeah. is to translate their life into a way that connects with other people. And I mean, it's there. Like, it's there every time I look at the piece when I walk into a gallery and see one of your nice big old pieces framed up on the wall. Like, you know, it's it's this kind of connection, and it's all the stuff that you are putting into it that makes it the art that we need. You know what I'm saying? And, you know, mm -hmm. there's so many different stories and you telling this story to me is just as important as somebody else just, you know, talking about something, you know, completely different. You know what I'm saying? Right. Right. I understand. Yeah. So I, I, I really like that. So you say you got a new series that you're working on now. Um, yeah. That, black the, black, black, the black rage. And then, then I'm doing a, with a group of artists, we're, we're uh, looking at the plight of black farmers mm. throughout the South. I like that and too. And so this is this is a um, uh, we're having a grant to work on this. So this will will culminate into an exhibit probably next year in the fall of next year. All right, that's something to look forward to. So there's to. about seven of us, and uh, and uh, we'll 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 we won't start working to towards the end of the summer here, and then then we'll start on that. So that's an exciting, exciting thing for us. So we will be uh, visually um, chronicling the lives of black farmers and their families. Wow. And exhibit, and we're putting all the framework in place now. So this is very new. Yeah. They probably want me to talk about it now, but anyway, <laughs> it's, very, it's very new. We're still pulling all of the that, components together with the money that. and all that stuff, you yeah. know. So, that sounds amazing. That, that, yeah, that's, so anyway, I, that's, that's definitely another thing. Of, that's definitely one of those unreported stories. Uh, yeah. People don't talk enough about how black farmers have been uh, struggling and, and still getting out there trying to survive. Like all the hardships yeah. they had to deal with. Like it's something incredible. I grew up in North oh, Carolina, yeah. so, you know, I know oh, yeah, a little you bit know, about you that. Know, yeah. yeah, you know the deal and stuff. And But anyway, that's that's the that's the uh, the, the uh, newest uh, thing that uh, I'm working on along with that in the uh, black black rage thing and and so i'm you know i'm busy i always have plenty to do and stuff and 
And uh, I don't really paint, and I hope a lot of artists will do this. You're not painting to a particular audience. You're just you're painting because you want to paint what you're painting. You know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And and you have to be, you know, as an artist, you have to you have to have a thick skin because people say, oh man, I don't like that. It looked like a little kid did it, you know, or something, <laughs> you know. So but you have to have a, you know, be thick skinned about, you know, what you're doing. And and uh and I had the philosophy early on that um well, if you don't like this one, maybe you'll like the next one because I'm not going to stop doing it. So. <laughs> <laughs> and if you don't like that one, I really don't care. I'll find somebody that does, you know, so, <laughs> and just keep and just keep going, you know. Yeah, that's for sure. I, yeah. I love that one. Yeah. So thank you so much for talking with me on the podcast. Mr. And, uh, you know what we need? I might have to bring you back so we can talk more about like some of uh, your career stuff. I think I love those stories when you talk about going out to the art fairs and all that kind of stuff. Uh, oh, okay. Yeah, so we got might have to bring you back in and tell some more, man. You know, I, I love hearing from uh, artists that have been doing it for as long as you have and, and still have that that passion and that conviction. I think it's, it's something special about that. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah, hopefully that'll be me, <laughs> you know. Oh, it will and, be and you. Just keep years. working. Yeah. Just keep working. And, and, you know, the thing about us, we have to help everybody. So you didn't get here by yourself. There were so many people helped me, man, and, and you have to just spread whatever you know. You got to spread on to some other artists. There's some some young artists out there. I know you're very young yourself, but there's somebody you can pass a little information on to and just kind of encourage them, because what we're doing is not easy. That's true. And uh, and nowhere in the country is is uh, the art of African and African Americans really appreciated uh, like it should be. And so we have to make sure we appreciate each other and help each other. Absolutely. Thank you, Mr. Henderson. I appreciate you. All right. Thank you. Have a great day, too, okay? And that's it. Another episode of Studio Noise in the Bag. Big shout out to Mr. Henderson for coming on the podcast. Y'all check out his artwork. Check out all the things over at Zucot Gallery, yo. Doing big things, representing we sure do appreciate everybody represent for the culture. We represent for the culture. All my artists out there, you keep representing for the culture too. I'm taking a little break, but I'll be back. But that don't mean you got to take a break. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I'm going to recharge and I'm going to be back. I'm trying to catch up with you. I'm trying to be like you, baby. Let's make that noise. I'll holler at you. Peace. Thank you for listening to the Studio Noise Podcast. Subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. Please take a second to rate us and write a review to make sure everybody knows about the noise. Follow us on Instagram at Studio Noise Podcast.